I'm Afshan Ratansi, and welcome back to a brand new season of Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world despite NATO nations jailing journalists and curbing freedom of speech. While we've been away, the world has been gathering at the UN in New York with battle lines about what exactly a rules-based order is drawn between the international community versus the USA and its vassal states. But while there are signs of discontent in Washington and even in the US media about the war on Russia through Ukraine, Europe remains steadfast. Once advised the foreign policy chief of the European Union was British diplomat Alistair Crook. He's now director of the Beirut-based Conflicts Forum, and he joins me again from Rome in Italy. Alistair, thanks so much for uh, coming back uh, on. I know you're in a bit of an echoey room, kind of reverb used in uh, Hotel California, I think. Uh, people will have to read your writing as to why I have to have the lyrics of the Eagles' uh, Hotel California on uh, this device here when our editor-in-chief was more into Pink Floyd. But uh, uh, people really will. You might actually name-check it, I'm sure, in this interview. Sergei Lavrov in New York. That's all hot on the heels of Wednesday's informal BRICS meeting. Biden celebrating with Zelensky at the White House. Two separate worlds now, uh, the international community versus uh, the United States and, uh, as I said in the intro, uh, arguable vassal states of the United States. Certainly, but increasingly the, the United States is, is becoming isolated. I think that although Europe gives token uh, head nods towards Washington, what can it do else than that? I mean, it has made itself a vassal uh, of Washington and of the Biden administration. So, you know, it wants to keep its jobs. So they have to say the right things. But there's great divisions, and, and much more so at um, the ground level, where people, I mean, the economic consequences uh, of the sanctioning of Russia, I mean, are just playing out now in terms of high unemployment and people can't afford food. I mean, the food prices have gone up so much. There are many, many, most 41% of Italians couldn't afford a summer holiday this year. Um, many of them are, um, are in poverty. It's, it's, it's really serious. And so there's the stirrings of um, anger and protest at what has happened. But of course, there's no, there's no vessel for that. There's no structure. There's no parties that can really take that forward because all of the main parties were co-opted long ago by Brussels as sort of centrist left, centrist right, lookalikes. So, you know, actual reform of the European Union or the project or even a serious analysis of why they made so many mistakes about Ukraine. I mean, made the mistake of sanctioning Russia, made the mistake of thinking that this was all going to come right in, 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 in a few weeks, made the mistake of getting involved in the proxy war with Ukraine and made a huge mistake um, in, in pursuing this and formulating language and formulating expected outcomes that are actually going to uh, hit back like a boomerang and hurt them more because they're not going to get, you know, Russia isn't about to collapse, either economically, politically, or culturally. In fact, it's got stronger during this process of sanctions. And if anything, Europe has got a lot poorer and a lot weaker very much poorer. There's, of course, media censorship 
where you're speaking to me from. There's official media censorship in the European Union, of course, in, in Britain as well. But signs of dissent in the United States. I mean, even the Salzburger's New York Times uh, showing the fake news that Russia attacked a market when it was, in fact, it looks like Zelensky uh, forces killing civilians in, in Donetsk. How easy will it be while, as you say, Western Europe just sits there uh, uh, with many people dying this winter? How easy will it be for the United States to decouple from, uh, I suppose, Western Europe and from the policy, uh, given that it has managed to do so very well as regards the failure in Afghanistan and so on? It, it uh, manages to do the switch quite, quite easily, doesn't it, historically? Uh, well, Europe is divided, and it makes it much harder for, for Washington to go ahead because their narrative has always been, you know, NATO is united and you NATO is together. That's no longer true. There are deep divisions both at the military level and also increasingly at the political level about that. But that point you made about the New York Times, you know, these things don't happen by accident. I mean, the last time Zelensky came to, came to Washington, um, you know, this was to a tumultuous welcome in Congress, and he was a hero, and he was a sort of celebrity. Everyone wanted to shake his hand. This time, it was a bit different. Uh, when, the, when Biden spoke um, in the UN at the General Assembly, um, you know, there was a passing reference to Ukraine, but most of it was about reforming the world order and about the uh, Security Council and the BRICS and how to actually change the world order. And yes, there was a reference to, you know, where with Ukraine, but it was boilerplate. It wasn't, it was nothing. And they looked so angry and, and crestfallen. I mean, the, the, the Ukrainians were really unhappy. Uh, Zelensky had a sort of angry, sort of grim look on his face, and the others did as well. And then, you know, the writings on the wall, Poland won't even agree to, to meet with him, it, uh, wouldn't agree to meet with him in the UN. And, um, you know, w when he did speak uh, at the assembly, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but, I mean, it was half empty. The, uh, yeah, I the, saw the reverse the shots there. That was very interesting. And, yeah. of course, Zelensky not addressing Congress either. All those congressmen who've been enriched, arguably, yeah. or at least the donors that back them, have been enriched from the arms companies from this conflict. Um, you mentioned so Biden. Quite, so, so it is quite important, these sort of signals and signs of, you know, that we haven't shifted yet, but we are shifting in, and, and Washington is shifting, um, just as Europe is sort of, sort of rather crab-like, sort of trying to find a way um, forward. But I mean, yes, it was quite important these symbols and the, the change in the change in the tone for his welcome. I mean, you know, as I say, these things are choreographed in Washington. They don't happen by accident. This was a clear signal to Zelensky. It wasn't just, you know, poor, you know, poor reception, poor Zelensky. This was intended from the New York Times piece um, to the reception um, at the assembly and um, also was, you know, no, 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 no Congress this time, no signing of a flag and 
everyone cheering and hurrahing. And, you know, this is the same. I mean, look what happened. The G20 meeting went ahead and Zelensky was not invited. Uh, uh, last time he was, there was no Zelensky there. And uh, even at Vilnius, we saw a sort of rather forlorn figure on the margins of the um, G20 gathering to discuss, you know, NATO and G20 discussing the future uh, of the um, project Ukraine. So big, big shift. And how are they going to get out of it? Well, uh, it's it's too too. Early I should to say, say that's that's the relevance to the Eagle song. They they yeah. don't seem to be able to check out of the hotel Ukraine. Yeah, they can't check out. Yes, you're always welcome to come, but getting out is always difficult, <laughs> and it's it's difficult. It's going to be difficult for everyone. I mean, as you've just pointed out, for Europe, but I mean for the United States particularly, um, it, it's difficult to get out because. Uh, they keep talking that they want a frozen conflict and that they want to just simply a ceasefire along the conf conflict line. Um, and Israel, I should just interrupt there. Talk. From Zelensky himself, we need to learn to live with the conflict. We need to learn Israel is at war. We are prepared uh, for a very long time. Like in Israel, for example, we can live like that. That was Zelensky. Yeah, well, that's, yeah but that's nonsense. I mean, they're, they're quite incapable of living like that unless the Americans are prepared to finance it and the Europeans too. I mean, their money is uh, is all expended. They've run out of men. I mean, the, the forces have been decimated. They have almost no shells left. But the point is you can't, you know, you can't order new, a new army from Amazon. It just doesn't work like this. I mean, you you may have to grow it over a generation, but they've really lost so many men, maybe up to half a million, dead. Um, it's really, I mean, it's tragic more than anything else. It's really tragic that all these young men have been sent off to their deaths. What, for good optics at the General Assembly, good optics in Washington that they've been fighting and right up to the last moment? Uh, the chief of defense staff of the um, uh, 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 of the Ukrainians say they can probably just about continue for 30 days more, 30, 40 days more. But after that, they won't be able to continue any offensive um, at all. Because there aren't, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you need bodies. There's no point having weapons and tanks given to you if you don't have bodies to drive the tanks or to hold weapons. And they're getting to that point, which is, a point really of complete stasis. I mean, almost as if, you know, uh, when you're stung by a scorpion, just everything stops. I mean, you, you, you're just paralyzed. And they're getting very close to that. Uh, does that mean the end of the war? Well, it depends which war we're talking about. Um, in, in terms you'll be understanding, is this uh, the lesser jihad or the greater jihad? <laughs> in the sense that the lesser jihad is the the military war inside Ukraine. Well, I mean, that's probably coming to an end, although we may see another chapter because Russia has been diligently preparing another chapter to it. It's used this period of the sort of um, offensives where Ukraine, without success, has been banging its head against the defensive wall of Russia. Russia has been quietly doing that, has been carefully ramping up manufacture of shells, of drones, of aircraft, tanks even, um, and accumulating. 
and it looks as if they're ready and been deliberately stockpiling these weapons, and they're all stockpiling their troops. I mean, yeah, but in, fa in fairness, the, Alice, the headlines were about the Black Sea Fleet being damaged. That was a big oh. Zelensky victory. Well, how did they manage well, to do that? It, Why well, was there an airfield from which to uh, launch attacks on Sevastopol? Well, they, I mean, they have been shutting down. They did destroy all of the Storm Shadow munitions recently. But the no British doubt, missiles. The, the Brits, yeah, no doubt the Brits rushed them some more if they've still got any. Um, but yes, I mean, yeah, these are annoying to Russia, but they're not strategic in any way. I mean, they hit one landing craft and they damaged a submarine. Um, with uh, after sending 10 um, cruise missiles. And uh, three got through out of the 10 and did some damage. Um, but in the, in, the, in the bigger picture of the war, uh, I mean, it's a pinprick. I mean, you know, uh, Russians just have to bite their bottom lip and, and, and say, you know, it's a sign actually of someone who's desperate, not a sign of someone who's in a powerful position that you get go around to doing this. These are just optics. They're, they look great in the Western press. Oh, you know, headlines and Sebastopol being attacked and so on. But it, it doesn't really do, do much. And they are um, taking strong measures against it. And, uh, you know, uh, there, will be, there will be more missiles. There will be another launch of missiles. Uh, we're waiting to see in the winter. I think it's quite evident what, what we hear very much is that, you know, across the, the Russian sphere in terms of uh, telegram channels and chat shows on television and things, everyone is really calling on the government to say, look, let's, let's you know, just bring it to an end, force capitulation from Kiev, just finish it. Alex Cook, I'll stop you there. More from the former advisor on Middle East issues to EU foreign policy chief Javier Solana after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Alistair Crook, former British diplomat and founder and current director of the Beirut-based Conflicts Forum. Alistair, we were talking, I think you were mentioning Zaluzhny in the first uh, half. I want to get on to uh, his conflict, perhaps in Kiev with the Nazis uh, there, arguably. Uh, but I, I was going to mention Biden since we were talking about him and he was on the lawn with Zelensky. Uh, more to come from the impeachment of Joe Biden, the media narrative in the United States, and I don't know how well it will be reported in Western Europe, which is also funding this uh, conflict. Uh, the Biden... Uh, Biden impeachment, if it is reported daily on U.S. television, could make a difference? Oh, yes. I mean, they, the, the Democratic Party is in, a, is in panic at the moment, not just because of that, though that is going to be extremely damaging, they expect, um, because uh, it's increasingly obvious to them uh, that he's not a credible candidate uh, at all. And that, you know, a larger a majority of Democratic supporters don't want to see him as the candidate for the presidency. But there's no alternative. They haven't got a, a, a sort of stand-in ready. But the so Ukraine corruption specifically. Panic. 
Yes, and that's why it's going to, I think, impel the Democratic, um, the DNC, the National Council, who will want, uh, I think, to get away from Ukraine for the rest of the election and to concentrate on other issues. I mean, obviously, they're going to concentrate on the ones that they think um, will help them, like abortion um, policy. Um, but mostly, you know, and for them, the other thing very worrying is that the economy is turning bad. And, you know, they, that has been kept from people. You know, inflation has gone down from 9 to 3%. Well, if you believe that, in the old saying, I've got a bridge to sell you, um, it's not down like that. The, the figures are being manufactured and being sort of massaged to keep it down by trying to supply oil from the strategic reserve, get the oil price down, put pressure on... You said the U.S. only has 20 good. days from the strategic reserve. 20 days, that's right. That's all they've got left. If they had to, if they had to use the strategic reserve to run the country, it would run out in 20 days. So, I mean, the, 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 I mean, there's a lot of stress on the Democratic Party, and they don't really know how to do it. And and equally, there are, uh, you know, there are forces there. The um, the 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 state, um, the security state, is determined to stop Trump from ever being allowed to be president again. Um, and yet he is far away the most popular uh, leader in the Republic. The others that were sort of put up as, you know, reserves, if you like, if he didn't uh, stand, I mean, are, are trailing miles behind. Well, and clearly U.S. Have... authorities seeking to jail him. Of course, yes. Well, it, at least to get a guilty indictment and then probably jail him. And then you've got also the wild card of Kennedy, who's very popular, and is a sort of there's a, a there's a sort of cross-party support taking place. I mean, so many of the Trump people support Kennedy for his you know talking truth. I mean, he is very um, uh, very much acknowledged for the fact that here's a person who actually says it as it is, and so it sort of intersects between parties, between classes, um, between left and right. It's, it's a sort of new phenomenon taking shape in the United States. And the Democrats are also very frightened about that. Yeah, I understand that uh, Kennedy has no uh, security detail as per Biden's <laughs> decision, and there yeah. was some kind of attack. So between the yeah. attempts to jail uh, Trump and uh, perhaps assassination on a man from a family who's famous for assassinations, it's a worrying uh, democracy over there. But uh, back to Zelizhny, the battle in Kiev, because in NATO nation media, the battle was, well, Putin is over because there's a coup in the offing. And uh, you have been writing, however, that there is a battle between the, uh, I suppose I'll call them Nazis, and uh, Zelizhny, and that, that side of uh, the Ukrainian uh, government in Kiev. So could that explode at any moment? Yes, any time that can explode, because it's become, you know, increasingly obvious to the military um, that they've been led up the primrose path. You know, they've been sending, you know, young men and, you know, officers, I don't care who they are, don't like sending men to their deaths unnecessarily for no political, no military gain. <clears throat> so there's increasing dissatisfaction. Uh, in the military. Of course, propaganda has tried to keep it sort of contained during this period, but that's uh, so much the case.
because, but, you know, the question keeps coming up for them. Okay, you know, you say you're going to start again next year. Why is it going to be any different next year from this year? And what's going to happen this winter? Do you have any idea about that? So the, the, uh, the ultra-nationalists are very much on the defensive and trying to keep everything going by, um, really, by strong-arm tactics more than anything else and, you know, just flat-out propaganda. But uh, uh, the tensions are enormous. And, of course, the, the people are really, because of, there's been this conscription where, you know, they've had their brothers and fathers and things just sort of rounded up, beaten and thrown in a truck to go off to the front to be killed. I mean, there's a lot of that, but there's no, there's no structures for popular dissent. It's all been crushed. I mean, they, there won't be a popular rising. It can't happen. So it's got to be a sort of internal fight at the top level uh, of the regime um, to sort this out. And, uh, you know, it may happen, and I'm sure the Russians are watching very, very closely and have a lot more information than we do about, you know, these tensions and if they're maturing. Because uh, throughout this, I mean, uh, Putin has been very careful. He hasn't wanted... You know, you talked to me earlier, why was there, uh, why was there a, an airfield still going, uh, still operational? And many people have said, well, why are the bridges still operational? Well, Putin has always tried to do a process of, uh, uh, you know, not completely devastating the country, not leaving it like, a, you know, a, a, you know Iraq. A, a scorched earth, <laughs> it's like Iraq. No, and so... Uh, I mean, he's always done it sort of incrementally. He's always had his eye on the politics, the, the global world politics, the BRICS, the, generally the politics, trying to judge when is the right moment that the Ukrainian system is completely exhausted, and then maybe to contemplate a push to give it a coup de grace uh, at the end of, the, uh, end of this process. I think, uh, you know, that's probably uh, what we may see in offensive. And I would think it would probably go only as far as the Dnieper, the river Dnieper, probably would halt there while uh, Putin sort of reads the sort of political tea leaves in the West and in Europe. I mean, obviously, I mean, you just said that the Russians, the Russians may have a handle, the GIU or whatever, have a handle on the inner circle there in Kiev. But, sure. you know, the CIA sure. did uh, accurately predict the uh, move finally to save the people of Donbass by Putin's troops. And, uh, you know, you've been close to the intelligence services in Britain for decades. Do you think, not think that the British, specifically, I suppose, uh, have a, some kind of idea about this... Uh, at no, any moment, think... fight that could erupt uh, in Kiev, destroying uh, the British war aims, whatever they are, British conflict aims in Ukraine? Look, there'll be people on the ground, Americans on the ground in Kiev, and I mean, almost certainly inside and attached to the military that know what's going on. But whether that information gets up the tree to the political... Um, decision-makers is very moot in, in, indeed. And no, it wasn't a great intelligence coup by the CIA then, because it, it, was, it, it, was, quite, it was quite obvious um, uh, uh, what, was, what was happening. I mean, uh, Putin never went into Ukraine with the intention of a sort of military victory. He went to just show a, a show of force to show he was serious about negotiations. 
Well, that didn't happen and it didn't work. And so he had to mobilize and he had to regroup. And now they already, they're ready indeed for war with the whole of NATO if necessary. They've been preparing enormously. They'll have at the end of the sort of reorganization an army of about 1.2 million, really big. I mean, we're talking serious numbers. I mean, NATO can do nothing against this, nothing. Okay, nothing I'm, afraid, I'm afraid uh, it wasn't that obvious to some of our pretty amazing guests that we had on this program in the run-up to the uh, um, SMO beginning, as the Russians call it. Um, there Look, is another dimension. Those troops, those troops have been sitting on the border for about nine months, right up on the border, as a, a, a clear signal that if there was an attack uh, on Donbass, as there uh, had been, you know, for they years. would come. And then we had four days um, in that lead up to the thing where there was something like a 20 fold increase in the shelling of Donbass and, and Lunyansk. And also, I knew, um, I can't say exactly how, but I knew that the Russians had got the four plans for the offensive against Donetsk and Lunyansk. Uh, given to them uh, by a source of theirs. So they knew it they was had to going act. to start in February. And they knew they had to act. They had to forestall it. Just uh, finally, because we, we could be talking for hours, of course, as usual. Uh, Zelensky in The Economist, uh, curtailing aid to Ukraine will prolong the war. Uh, and then this warning to the capitals of Western Europe, including where you are, Rome, I suppose. There's no way of predicting how the millions of Ukrainian refugees in European countries will react to their country being abandoned. If you're not with Ukraine, you're with Russia. Uh, what sort of threat... I mean, he was talking about nuclear weapons and nuclear disarmament of Russia at the UN General Assembly, rather bizarrely. Uh, but uh, on this, uh, if there is a turn in Washington, what are these millions of refugees in Western European capitals? What's he threatening exactly? Look, when he says the war is going on, I mean, the reality is that if the United States just simply said no more money, no more weapons, it will, would, would end very, would be over. He's suggesting they're sleeper cells. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, there's been so much exaggeration. Uh, there may be one or two. We saw there were one or two in Russia. I mean, one of them killed a friend of mine, Daria Dugina. She was um, assassinated by a sleepy cell, um, blown up. Her car turned into a fireball. She was a you know very, a very intelligent young woman, and just was assassinated like this. No doubt they keep threatening this. I'm not sure how capable they're doing it, but certainly once the money and the weapons go, it'll be a game changer. They can't. They can't. I mean, the idea that they can just go on that it can go on for years. Uh, how? <laughs> With what? There is, you, as I say, you can't just go to Ikea and order a new army. It, it's not like that, it, you know. And there are not the men. And then, you know, even if you get some 16-year-olds and 60-year-olds, I mean, they're untrained. They have no motivation. I think a lot of the Ukrainians actually, whether they're there or in Europe, are tired of the war. People would love to get back to normal, just go back to normal life to see their relatives and to, you know, celebrate Christmas as they used to. So I don't think there'll be I don't think there'll be any any great um, uh, turn against um, Europe or there may be one or two. I think Europe is much more worried about others. I mean, we've seen what's been happening in Lampedusa with huge influx of um, uh, young men from Africa.
um, and who, you know, I don't know what their future is in Europe, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be easily settled, all this problem. One, one so legacy of Libya, where you'll have to come on and talk to exactly. us about that, of course. Alistair exactly, Crook. Exactly, exactly. Alistair Crook, thank you. Thanks to you. And that's it for the show. We'll be back on Saturday with a brand new episode of Going Underground. But until then, keep in touch via all our social media. If it's not censored in your country, and head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday.